0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. I'm your host, Paul Metza. Tonight we have a very fascinating guest who's going to share stories of his over six decades in broadcasting and showbiz. Barry Zavan has been described by no less a figure than Vice President Walter Mondale as a television personality with personality. He has spent his life as a broadcaster, weatherman, writer, documentarian, ski instructor, and now with his autobiography, Barry Zavan: My Life Among Giants, an author. He has rubbed elbows with everyone from James Dean to John Ehrlichman and Woody Allen to Vern Gagne. I'm delighted he took time out of his busy schedule to join us on the show. And now with no further ado, Mr. Barry Zavan. Barry, so nice to meet you in person. Nice to meet you, Paul. I've seen you quite a bit over the years on the television, and you look even better in person. Oh, you're
1: very kind. Thank (laughs) you. Yeah, I have a picture in my attic, me and Dorian Gray.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have a great book. I just uh, finished it a few days ago. a Van: My Life Among Giants. Among the Giants. Yeah, Yeah. Among the Giants. And there's very few people in the entertainment biz in the last... 50 maybe 60 years that you haven't at some point rubbed elbows with
1: yeah and actually had real Relationships with it wasn't because of interviews or anything else. I was born into the business and uh, My grandfather was one of Milton Burroughs and George Burns and Gracie Allen's agents (laughs) And uh, he was first violinist for the Pittsburgh Symphony in 1938 under Fritz Reiner and uh, uh, Oscar Levant It was a huge friend of our family in Pittsburgh before he went to Hollywood. Same with Gene Kelly, who I got to know later on. And it just, uh, it never ends. It just never ends. And
0: you started out as an actor.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, I was a boy singer on KDKA Radio in Pittsburgh, the world's first commercial radio station. And that was in 1943, February 20th, 1943. And in the KDKA archives now on the Internet, there's actually a picture of me with the other kids while we were singing. And uh, it just, uh, Peter Marshall from Hollywood Squares started on that show just uh, several years before I did. Really? And we're, and we're 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 dear friends too. Thank God. Your mother was a big supporter of you early on. Yeah, but she wasn't a stage mother. Uh, she she figured I had some sort of talent, <laughs> but she wasn't sure what. Right. And so she uh, she actually I did start uh, my I say I started out as a singer, which is true, but acting was my passion. Uh, but only by accident. She had heard the Pittsburgh Playhouse was uh, going to have auditions for kids to go to their drama school on Saturday mornings. So she got me into the drama school and one of my fellow students was Shirley Jones oh. from S- Smithton, Pennsylvania. And so Shirley and I took lessons from a guy named Bill Putch and Bill later married a lady named Jean Stapleton. Oh. And my daughter Shonda Dated Gene Stapleton and Bill Putch's son, John Putch, uh, one time, anyway, in Pennsylvania when we were living in Washington, D.C. And uh, so uh, it's it's been quite a life. And then Shirley, I did her first play with her when she became Miss Pittsburgh in 1951. It was called Wonderful Good. It was about the Pennsylvania Dutch. So and Shirley and I still keep in touch uh, pretty frequently. Wow.
0: Yeah. So radio was... was uh you know the popular medium when you were growing up, but but television was just coming, kind of coming online as well.
1: Yes, and I had had a big break there too. I had been a contestant. My mom had taken us to New York. This was before we moved there. Uh, this was in uh, nineteen forty eight, no forty six. Forty-six. I was on a show called Give and Take. It was a CBS national program with John Reed King and Bill Cullen was the announcer. Hmm. And so Bill was from Pittsburgh, by the way, right. my hometown too. So.
0: And Bill went on to do What's My Line?
1: Oh, he went on to do everything. Yeah. yeah. And, who did and I got marry? to know him. Well, I married a girl named Ann, Ann Cullen, and she's still alive. Okay. Uh, and so anyway, uh, after the radio program, the producer said uh, to my mother, we would like to have your son be on television tonight uh, down at, uh, um, near Grand Central Station, and we didn't know what television was because the nation didn't get television until 1948, two Mm -hmm. years later. So this was an experimental program, but the first regularly scheduled program ever was called King's Party Line. New York City had 600 television sets. (gasps) And so it was a test to see how many people were watching. So they put me on that night. If you recall and you having lived in New York City, you know this building at the end of Park Avenue is called the New York General Building, right mm-hmm. right behind Grand Central Station. Sure. So that's where the CBS even the CBS soap operas were were performed too in later years in that same studio. So uh, they had some guy guess my hat size, they and I, I was coached to say yes, Mr. King, that's correct, or no, Mr. King, that's not correct. And, that's fantastic. Yeah, and and some guy from the Bronx guessed my hat size, and they were so elated with with my uh, personality, is what they said, uh, that. Uh, they asked my mom if we could stay if CBS paid for the uh, us to stay for a couple more weeks, and that's
0: what we did. So. Was that when you were at the Edison Hotel? Yes, because I've stayed there. Yeah, I stayed there in the mid '80s when I was out for a music conference. But there's a great story in your book <laughs> that uh, that really struck me. Um, <clears throat> it's just kind of uh, just shows you how interesting america is and especially when you've lived a, a life as long as you have but there was a saxophone player in the in the band at the hotel <laughs> a young man by the name of alan greenspan that's right who became the head of the uh, the fed
1: yeah and he was with henry jerome's orchestra right. which was the house orchestra at the edison hotel there right. I stayed at the Edison again two years ago uh, for Ann Mira's uh, memorial service at the Eugene O'Neill's Theater and uh, where I also had a good breakfast with Tony Randall's widow, who I still keep in touch with. But anyway, there's no place in the Edison now for any kind of a house band or anything else, yeah. it's a miracle they have a restaurant. Nothing, nothing against. That. I don't want to get
0: sued by the Edison Hotel, but right. it's a lot different than it used to be. Right, yeah. but uh, and of course Alan Greenspan, uh, besides spending years as the head of the at the Fed, also married Andrea Mitchell.
1: Yes who I've who I've met I only met her a couple times right. yeah
0: now let's move ahead a few years to the the show Mr. Peepers because yes. this is some really interesting uh actors that that you rubbed elbows with well you were just growing up maybe you not, well, no, you couldn't reach their elbow, but uh, but tell us about Mister Peepers.
1: Well, I, I actually developed, thanks to Tony, uh, a lifelong friendship with Tony Randall, because Tony played a teacher called Harvey Weskin in the in the show, and so Wally Cox, of course, was Peepers, and Wally was a and delight. What
0: was, what was the show exactly? What was it? Well, it was
1: about the Jefferson Junior High. It was a fictitious high sc- junior high school, and there's quite a story about it really on how. Tony almost didn't take the part. The producer named Fred Coe was one of the geniuses of early television, a guy from the south, a real southern gentleman, and uh, uh, he called Tony and said, I've just written uh, the beginning of a sitcom, we're gonna call it Mr. Peepers, and I've written a part just for you. And Tony said, I'm not interested. He said, I'm directing plays down at the circle in the square right. <laughs> in the village. And he was an artist. Yeah, yeah, artiste, yes. Tony was so non-uppity, uh, uh, he was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Just He was well. It was like a father to me, a mentor. And so anyway, uh, Tony kept refusing Fred Cohen. Fred finally said, Tony, you have got to do this because the show is going to be dependent on on your personality interacting with Wally's. And Tony finally said yes. He said it was the biggest decision he ever made in his life hmm. because he didn't realize the power of television. Now, this is in 1952. And so he said after the first show, and, of course, we're all live, no tape. Uh, and after the first show, it was a <laughs> right. So I can watch myself now on some of the episodes hmm. on the Internet. But anyway... Uh, he said he had to go to Philadelphia for something, and we were live on Sunday nights, and he had to be in Philly maybe in Monday and Tuesday. And he's walking down the street, <clears throat> pardon me, and uh, I get all choked up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, he's walking down the street, and people started pointing their fingers at him. And it then, then some lady... I mean, said, oh my God, you're, you're what's his name on you know, that show? <laughs> and so, yeah, he said, I, then I realized the power of television, mm-hmm. as you said.
0: Well, so- there's a, if you fast forward to 1964, when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan those two weeks in a row, oh. they said both those nights, the crime rate in New York City dropped to almost zero. Yeah, well, two
1: dear friends of mine were on that episode of The Sullivan Show. Really? Charlie Brill and Mitzi McCall. Okay. Mitzi was the first young actress I ever worked with at the Pittsburgh Playhouse who uh, walked around the dressing rooms uh, (laughs) scantily clad. God bless (laughs) her. And then... uh, Charlie Brill and I went to high school in New York together mm. at, at uh, pro- the Lodge Professional Children's School. And Charlie and Mitzi are still married, Wow! but they were the comedy act that night on the Sullivan Show really? when the Beatles were on.
2: It's expected to continue through midweek and then hopefully head over here.
1: Try to beat that. No, well, we won't beat 90. 60? <laughs> pretty close, <laughs> 60, yeah. For for this time. Time. You know what this is? That's a piece of paper. You're right. Pick picked well, that right up. Spring <laughs> fever right there. <laughs> we had 63 degrees today. Totally unexpected. Uh, it was just a marvelous day. We expect that uh, it's going to be continuing like that through the rest of the week. 41 was our low. This morning, a trace of precipitation with some isolated clouds moving around. Mostly cloudy right now. 52 degrees, winds north at 16 miles an hour. Our humidity, 46% pressure rising at 30.06 inches of mercury. High temperatures around the nation today were very indicative of spring, and uh, they extended their influence all the way east to us. However, the northeast, as you can see... Uh, in
0: More with berries event. Of- the weatherman and the wall of power radio hour after these messages
3: the two gingers just can't get enough of paul metza he's smooth yet strong a great mixer and very refreshing the two gingers are his biggest fans they're at practically every bar club and restaurant in minnesota to see his shows and now they've taken to following paul around the country texas new york nebraska You never know where you may find the two gingers. Just ask the bartender for them. Two gingers whiskey. What could happen? AM 950's annual get-together for like-minded progressives is back. Hi, it's Mike McEntee, and the
0: Blue State Ball is March 10th at the Blaisdell in Minneapolis. I will be there and look forward to talking with you, along with Tom Hartman, Norman Goldman, and, of course, our own Matt McNeil. Plus, expect lots of big-name political guests and candidates. VIP and general admission tickets are on sale now at am950radio.com. Join me, Matt,
3: Norman, and Tom, March 10th at the Blue State Ball.
4: fireplaces. This is an important part of our mission at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. We know that the fireplace has to work, work with your life, work with your living space, and also be environmentally smart. Come see us, learn to burn wise. We have over 35 working units on display at the corner of Riverside and East Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis. Visit our store in person or online at woodlandstoves.com.
3: Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977. Hi, it's Tom Hartman, and this Valentine's Day, I want you to stop at Continental Diamond in St. Louis Park. Jimmy and Helene Pessis have created a family atmosphere where generations of Twin City customers have made it their jewelry store. At Continental Diamond, you can shop without pressure because no one works on commission. In addition to the outstanding selection of jewelry and watches, on Valentine's Day only, they'll be hosting R.J. Kramer flowers and Lemore chocolates for those last-minute shoppers. Continental Diamond, adjacent to the West End in St. Louis Park. And at ContinentalDiamond.com.
0: Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. My guest in the studio for the whole show tonight, a man about town, a broadcaster, a writer, a documentarian, and an amazing storyteller, Mr. Barry Zavann. Thank you, sir. Barry, we ended the last set. You were talking about uh, Wally Cox and Marlon Brando in New York City. Tell us a little bit more about what Marlon Brando was like. Well, Marlon was very quiet.
1: Um, he he really didn't talk that much. And uh, there was one night when we were in Wally's apartment, his and Wally's apartment, because the accountant for Wally was a guy named Mr. Tobias. Well, Alan Tobias, because of his father's connection with Wally, was one of our students on Mr. Peeper's. And so, <laughs> Funny how that works. Yes. Yeah, so we were... We were actually Alan had a key to to Wally's and Marlin's apartment, hmm. so we would just go up there and hang out. They didn't even have a television set. Really, they had hardly anything in that apartment. All we would do is hang out there and talk. Uh, one can of tuna fish, as I recall, oh. <laughs> every time we were there. I think <laughs> they were going to donate it to the Museum of Natural History or right. something. Right. But anyway, <laughs> one night it was pouring rain. And I think the story's in the book, but anyway, Wally came home first. He said, are you children still here? You should please go now. Go now. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, Wally. So we start to go, and here comes Marlon with a bicycle on his shoulder, huh. having ridden in the pouring rain. Right. And his hair was all done. Hey, kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like that. Right. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, then I was with Marlon a couple of other times when he was doing the things for the American Indian movement, and <laughs> uh, you know. But still, very you know, uh, he didn't talk much. He didn't talk much. So
0: tell us about New York City in the fifties.
1: Well, it was like uh, that film, My Favorite Year, with Peter O'Toole. One of my favorite films. Yeah, uh, it was. It was like that. Mm-hmm. Thing. People were happy. People were upbeat. Truman and Eisenhower were president, overlapping in the right. early 50s, and I got to know Mr. Truman too. That's also in the book. But uh, anyway, uh, it was it was magic time. It was the New York City of On the Town, mm-hmm. with Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra and and so forth, uh, and Jules Munshin, and and I just. Um, it's it's very it's hard to remember that it's hard not hard hard to remember but it's difficult to know that it's not like that anymore. Right. I mean, New York's very exciting. It, it'll never be less than exciting. Times Square in those days though was was Times Square. Oh, uh, I'm getting goosebumps really talking mm-hmm. about it now, and almost want to cry because it was. It was that. I right. no words. I'm, I'm sorry. Words are kind of my business, but not in this respect.
0: I remember my earliest memories of New York City was watching on Friday nights the boxing matches from Madison Square Garden. Oh, sure. With my father. Yep. Which was my father was has a lot of young dads in the 50s and 60s, very busy. So that was that. That was our bonding time. But you could just. Feel there was something going on yeah. in New York City, and then, of course, a little later on with the Ed Sullivan show and 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 Life magazine and all with those beautiful pictures of New York, that there was something going on there that wasn't happening on the Iron Range for young Paul Metz. <laughs> That's right. And when I finally got there in '84 for the first, well, we took a trip there in 1963. A family trip and so you could really feel the hustle and bustle the energy yeah yeah. and then got uh, was there again started to play out there in 84 and 85 but it was really that's where that's where all the big dreams came true right yeah, yeah.
1: and I, I was so lucky um, it was really thanks to a kid with whom I went to school I Went to a school called well first Forest Hills High School oh, when, I lived when, in Rego Park so did we. Yeah. Right. 8830, 62nd Drive, right 60, off Woodha- right off
0: Woodhaven Boulevard. Uh, 63rd and Queens Boulevard. Well, you weren't far away. And I used to, actually, when I used to, uh, I used to go jogging at Forest Hills High School. Yeah. Well, I used to ride my bike around Flushing Meadow Park. Oh, sure. Well, you know, the, uh, we could talk about Forest Hills for a little bit because there is, there is, uh, uh, that's got quite a bit of showbiz history. Michael Landon. Uh, Captain Kangaroo, Peter Parker from Spider Man went to Forest Hills High School. Yeah,
1: and the people with whom I went to Forest Hills High before I went to professional large professional children's school were Ina Ballin, who I convinced to stay in the business uh, through an agent friend of mine, and there's a story about that in the in the book too. Uh, and uh, 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 Art Garfunkel, yeah, Saturday and Marty Ingalls, and Marty Ingalls, who, be- who became Shirley Jones' husband, but he used to protect me in lunch line. Oh. We were we were one year apart, and Marty had this flaming red hair, big tall guy, and here I am, this little fella, and he said, "Let him in, let him in lunch." <laughs> you know, every every lunch line, and of so, course
0: the, the you know one of the Americans uh, America's greatest punk bands, the Ramones. Mm-hmm came from Forest Hills. Oh, well, that's wild. We'll have... we got to go out and have uh, lunch and talk about uh, <laughs> Forest Hills and, and Rego Park and Kew Gardens and the rest. Yeah, and,
1: and the fellow who later became the genius at ABC, uh, he was from Rego Park, and I can't think of his name. Who was the big shot at ABC?
0: Was it Brandon Tartikoff?
1: No. Brandon was NBC, and he okay. was out of Connecticut. Um, uh, um, Silverberg, Silver... Silverman. Thank you. Fred yeah. Silverman. He was from Rigo Park. What's my
0: what's my hat size? <laughs> Just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I've got Barry Zavan on. He's got a great book called My Life Among the Giants. We're almost halfway done with the show and we're barely out of uh, the late fifties, early sixties. <clears throat> Tell us now, let's jump ahead a little bit. There's a there are great stories in the book, two things that I really related to. Number one, your mother could type 125 words a minute. Oh yeah, which is amazing. Now I was I'm a good typer, and it served me well. I could type 52 words a minute. But when you started to get your first demo tape together to get into broadcasting, mm-hmm. she typed out and I I could see it because you don't Xerox this stuff. 75 introductory letters for her young son, young Barry.
1: Yes, same with the same verbiage, but the different. Uh, right. Dear Mr. Such and such.
0: Right. God bless her heart. Barry, one of the uh, things I really related to in the book was, number one, reading that your mother could type 125 words a minute. I can type 52 words a minute. My typing class was probably one of the greatest things that I've kept from high school. But I really enjoyed the part where she took your demo tapes, packaged up 75 packages with intro letters, and helped send them out.
1: That's correct. Yeah, she... uh uh, in the old days, they had carbon copy, of course. The right. carbon paper and the copy. but she... Which is what CC means, kids, now on your computer. Right. <laughs> but she, God bless her, she uh, she did all 75
0: letters. Wow. Well, yeah. We're with Barry Zavan. Uh, Man about town. He has a great book called My Life Among the Giants. We're going to have him on the whole show on the Wall of Power radio hour tonight. And we will be back with him
1: How to Improve Your Golf Game at Mixed Blood Theater, and among many more, No Sex, Please, Were British at the Old Log. The Minnesota Orchestra, under the baton of Edo DeVart, will present Brahms Piano Concerto No. 2, featuring Emmanuel Axe at the keyboard. And the Wrecking Ball is the name of the final big band dance at St. Paul's Prom Center tonight at 8, featuring Cab Calloway, Shirley Witherspoon, and the American Classic Jazz Orchestra. The real Wrecking Ball will destroy the Prom Center later this spring, but never all those decades of great memories. That's Showbiz. For Sunrise, Barry Zivan, News Eleven
0: sexual abuse has hurt
1: our native people it's still hurting them my cousin was raped when she was 13 and two months later she found out she was pregnant now she is hurt because her baby has no dad we have to stop sexual abuse against native women and girls we shouldn't have to experience sexual violence work with us to stop this abuse that's not too much to ask for is it sponsored by the minnesota indian women's sexual assault coalition
4: Being a dog is awesome, except when you really got to go, but you're stuck inside. That's why I had my human call the urban dog. Daily walks, field trips, play groups, one-on-one time, safe off-leash play, and pet sitting. I love being an urban dog. The urban dog works with your schedule and can
2: create a plan that fits your needs. The urban dog. Exercise, explore, socialize. Let the journey begin. Call 651-231-6333. That's 651-231-6333. Woo, woo, woo.
4: This is Ken Haglund of Minnesota Hospice, inviting you to listen to our brand new show, airing on AM 950 on Saturdays from noon to one. The Minnesota Hospice Show looks forward to discussing how we honor life and to exploring the physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional issues we experience throughout all stages of life. Learn how hospice is the new face of hope and how it's your benefit, your choice. Join us Saturdays at noon and check us out online at minnesotahospice.com. I'm Adam Jennings, and I approve this message. The race for Congress in the 3rd District will be one of the top races in the nation. I entered this race because I believe we need a progressive voice that is not afraid of the Republican attack machine. I believe in Medicare for All, and I'm not afraid to say so. I believe in the common sense gun legislation proposed by Gabby Giffords, and I'm not afraid to say so. I believe in supporting our public schools, protecting Social Security, funding Planned Parenthood, and standing with the Dreamers on their quest to become American citizens, and I'm not afraid to say so. I'm a husband, father, veteran, former AFSCME, and UAW worker. From owning a small business that provides housing to homeless vets to running a multi-billion dollar investment portfolio for a major insurance company, I have the life experiences that I'll bring to Congress to represent your interests. So if you want a Democrat that'll proudly stand up for the issues you care about, join me February 6th and take back your party. Thank you. Paid for by Adam Jennings for Congress.
2: With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Tonight, there's a chance of snow between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m. Lows around negative 2, with wind as low as negative 16. Sunday, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny and cold, with a high near 5. Wind values as low as negative 20. Eat local Minnesota's restaurant of the week is Common Roots Cafe. At Common Roots Cafe, they serve handcrafted food made with the best of local and organic ingredients available. Common Roots Cafe is located at 2558 Lindell Avenue South in Minneapolis. For the full menu, check out
0: Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzup, our guest in the studio for the whole show tonight, Barry Tavan, the weatherman. When we ended uh, the last segment, Barry, your mother had just helped you package up 75 packages to send out to uh, radio and television stations around the country. Just radio stations. Just radio. Yeah. So where did you get the first bite?
1: KCAP in Helena, Montana, for $55 a week <laughs> as news director and disc jockey. And what year was that? 1957. Okay. And it was a disaster. <laughs> because in New York, of course, and God bless him, my mentor there for radio was a guy named Phil Tonkin, who was one of the best mutual broadcasting announcers ever was, and or best announcers ever. And he, he was my mentor for that. And he had me record my tape up at OR. I still have that reel-to-reel tape. Oh. I would not have hired me. Right. So, anyway.
0: We've we got to get a copy of that.
1: Oh. I'd love to hear it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, uh, this fellow named Lou Torok, who was the manager of the station, wrote, sent a telegram. If you are still interested in Helena, Helena is interested in you. <laughs> well, I wasn't interested in Helena. I was just interested in getting a job. And so, thank God for him. And But, when I got out there, as you remember possibly, for radio... You had to be an octopus. right? So you're announcing, but you're slip-starting records, you're twirling Magna quarter recorders, and all the time with the headsets on, you're saying, oh, and by the way, it's such and such and such. In the meantime, while you're still doing all this right. stuff. Engineering, to me, was pathetic. So the boss said, <laughs> he said, I know you've got great talent. He said, but this... <laughs> This is tough. Right. I said, well, I expected there would be engineers like they were at WOR in right. New York. So he said, well, I have a friend in Missoula, Montana, who owns a TV station. He said, you'd probably be much better on television anyway. Hmm. And he said, I'm going to call. His name was Art Mosby. His daughter, Aileen Mosby, was the AP bureau chief in Paris, and she was very well known in newspaper circle. Wow. So anyway, Art was a gazillionaire. He uh, started one of the biggest uh, sub-developments in in Missoula, which still exists, uh, called Farviews. Anyway, um, so Mr. Mosby said to Lou Torek, okay, have him come over here and we'll we'll see if it works out. So there's a story about my trip over to Missoula, which almost ended in my death. (laughs) Uh, And it's true. But anyway, I got hired at it was then KMSO TV, Channel Thirteen in Missoula, uh, for sixty dollars a week to be a switcher, director, announcer, and it's the same station where my granddaughter now is an anchor.
0: Wow, well, that's yeah. incredible. You know, it's funny. Uh, my little history in radio. I was when I was at senior high school, first year junior college up in Virginia, Minnesota, at Masabi State, which we used to refer to as high school with ashtrays. Um, I was on a little station called WHLB, which some people refer to as We Have Lousy Broadcasting. <laughs> but actually it was a great little station. I used to be the weekend guy in the morning, the sunshine boy, from 6 a.m. to noon on Saturday and Sunday. And the uh, program director at the time was a guy named Harley Hodgkiss, who was several years older than me. Har- Harley worked there for a couple of years and then ended up in Missoula, Montana. Oh, wow! And he was on one of the radio stations, the voice of Missoula, Montana. I lost track with him for twenty some years, and about ten years ago, I got a uh, he tracked me down. I was playing at Nice Polonaise at the time, and he showed up. We had dinner, and um, he was the head of the CNN radio network for several years. Wow. So, not bad from small AM radio stations Montana. Well, look, you did pretty good. Yes. Harley did pretty good.
1: Well, it's interesting because uh, well, I'm ahead. hanging on by my fingernails, but you guys did great. <laughs> oh, yeah, hardly. You're doing really well, doing terrifically. Um, a story kind of like that. In later years I worked in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and my one of the comp- uh, the competing station uh, had a reporter named Don Oliver Don Oliver went from Idaho Falls, Idaho to the NBC network Wow as a network correspondent for NBC so you can you can jump uh leapfrog over everything else to get to the top depending on who sees you um, who all of a sudden you you've you've uh, inspired to want to hire you and so um and, and as, as you know, I mean, to me, the, one of the sad parts about this business is there are so many talented people. Uh, Maureen O'Hara and I got to know each other pretty hmm. well. And during one conversation, she said, Should I hate this about this business. There are so many talented people who never get the breaks. Right. And there are people with ha- no talent or half talent who get all the breaks. And it's just who's noticing you when and who's motivated To say, hey, you deserve a
0: big break. Well, Barry, that's what, there's dozens of fascinating stories in your book. But the one that, uh, maybe it's because I was just paging through when I had time, but one of the first stories I read was Bob Newhart was a huge supporter of yours. Tell uh, the uh, people out there in the... uh, Okay, You know, a lot of Bob Newhart. Okay, I had a a talk show
1: in Las Vegas on television. And what year was this? This is 19, I mean, think 60, well, from 68 to 70. And in 70, Bob was on my show frequently. Uh, He was at the Desert Inn, a TV talk show Mm -hmm. in the mornings, in addition to doing the weather. And so one day, I was driving him back to the Desert Inn. He used to refer to my weather shows in his comedy act. Desert He said, watch Barry's event. He said, this guy's fantastic, blah, blah, blah. And what an honor that was. Uh, So anyway, driving him back one morning, he said, you know, you belong in a much bigger market. He said, why don't you get Broadcasting Magazine and see if there are some ads for Weather Guy out there in a bigger city? And uh, I said, okay, well, ironically, the next week in Broadcasting, there was an ad... It said, Upper Midwest Television Station wants personality weatherman. Hmm. Apply to box such and such. As you know, they don't list the city. Right. And so I thought. But what was what? your
0: schtick as the weatherman? Well, it was the,
1: same, it was the same thing. Right. I mean, I, I had star, every star on the strip was on my show, on my right. weather show, every night. Robert Goulet started that parade. Hmm. And Juliet Prouse and Red Fox and just a whole and bunch of other. Having... Well, no, Woody was never on my show. Okay. No. I directed, but he did a
0: promo for you. At one oh, point.
1: he did a promo yeah. for me. I directed him in three local television shows there, though. Right. Before I went to Channel Thirteen, this was at Channel Eight when I worked for Howard Hughes, and that's another story right. in the book too. <laughs> Several stories about Hughes, but anyhow, uh, so ironically, there was a Broadcasting Magazine in the studio uh, laying around. And, it's, and it said that ad, Upper Midwest TV Station wants personality weather end. So I decided to send the wackiest tape that I could find. And I, my logic was that if they want me and see this, and if they see this tape and they still want me, then that means they really want me. Right. And I was scared to death, too. I've always really kind of lived on the edge, uh, very insecure in many, many uh, times of my life. As are a lot so,
0: of entertainers.
1: Yeah, that's what I. Well, Red Skelton was notorious for it. He thought he was going to lose everything every time he went on stage. Hmm. So anyhow, I get a call from KSTP uh, a week later. And said we want to talk to you. You have blown away everybody in a focus group. It was Frank Magan, Magan Associates.
0: Okay. And what year was that?
1: Uh, nineteen seventy. Okay. Yeah. So they flew me back here to the Twin Cities and. Um, I'll try to make this as succinct as I can. Um, they said, we'll start you out at $17,000 a year. And I'm looking at KSCP and thinking this magnificent station, I'm making 12000 in Las Vegas and still surviving on it pretty well. And they said, but don't worry about that because we want you here for a long time. Right. And we will make sure your pay right. Su- sufficiently increased. And good exposure. The yeah, well, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Right. So, anyway, I looked at the station and it was so magnificent. I f- later found out that NBC used to use it for their executives to come out from New York to watch how a real television station w- huh. was. And Mr. Hubbard, of course, was phenomenal. Mr. Hubbard Sr. Uh, he and all the stars were friends. Uh, s- some stories about him in there, too. And uh,
0: God bless so they, they were on, still on University Avenue?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. They've been on University Avenue from the very beginning. Wow. So, and he got the money to start KSDP-TV from my hometown bank, the Mellon National Bank in Pittsburgh. Really? Yeah. He borrowed the money in 1947 to get on the air in 48. So, anyway, um, I, I they said... We don't sign contracts, but we want you, blah, blah. So when can you start? And I said, well, I have to give proper notice and so forth. So they said, well, why don't we start you out in November? This was in August. Well, I got back, and I got a call from an agent in Beverly Hills. His name was Steve Silverberg. And he said, Nancy Sinatra and Dionne Warwick's husband said, you belong in the L.A. market to do the weather. And I said, well, I've just come back from the Twin Cities, and I told him a story. He said, well, they don't sign contracts there. And I said, you're right. He said, why don't you give me some tapes anyway and see what can work out? And I thought, oh, what the heck? So I met, he drove up from LA. I met him at Caesar's Palace with a shopping bag full of these great big tapes that we had in those days. That was the last I heard from him until the moving van was in our driveway in November. This one morning, I also did the morning news, in addition to the weather at night. So <laughs> they had they were Long day. they were using me. I get this call in the control room. I mean, in the newsroom, not the control room. The exact words: "You're hired," just like that. The voice was you're very affected, right? And I said, "Who are you, and what am I hired for?" He said, "My name is Bill Fife." and I'm news director at KTLA Channel 5 in Los Angeles, and we want you to be our weatherman and to be working with a brand new up-and-coming newsman named Tom Snyder. Wow. I would have been Tom Snyder's weather guy. Hmm. So anyway, I said, Mr. Fife, I said, oh, and we'll start you out at $40,000 a year. KS was gonna give me 17. (laughs) So I said, Mr. Fife, and I told him the story, and he said, well, if you feel you have a moral obligation, I said, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror and tell them I'm not coming back because they believe in me. He said, well, we believe in you, too. He said, but if you feel you have a moral obligation, we'll catch up sometime. So I turned down Los Angeles to come here, but by the same token, I'm happy I did. The Hubbards were wonderful to me. Uh, I stupidly quit that station for more money in Washington, D.C. after Mr. Hubbard offered me a lifetime job. Mm. And uh, how stupid can you be? But... Anyway, if with Bill Fife, in February they oh KSTP had me booth announcing from November, and we still hadn't found the rest of the team, so they had me in booth announcing till the team was found. Well, in February that year, I got very discouraged and I thought I'm going to call Bill Fife. We don't have a contract. Maybe I can still go to LA.
0: So you I- know what? Let's hold on that story right there. Because we're hanging on a cliff now with Barry Zavan on the wall of Power Radio Art. More with Barry and your host, Paul Metzah, after these messages.
3: The Two Gingers just can't get enough of Paul Metza. He's smooth, yet strong. A great mixer and very refreshing. The Two Gingers are his biggest fans. They're at practically every bar, club, and restaurant in Minnesota to see his shows. And now they've taken to following Paul around the country. Texas, New York, Nebraska. You never know where you may find the two gingers. Just ask the bartender for them. Two gingers whiskey. What could happen?
1: This is Danny Ziegler, and my family's restaurant, Our Kitchen, has been located off 36th
4: Street between Aldrich and Bryant for 76 years. Stop in and you'll enjoy some of the most delicious comfort food around. Our made-from-scratch breakfast and lunch dishes like French toast, eggs, and hamburgers will be made right in front of you. And don't miss our award-winning pancakes and hash browns, too. Our kitchen is open weekdays from 6.30 to 3, weekends 7 to 2, and enjoy our pleasant outdoor seating, weather permitting. Learn more at EatLocalMinnesota.com.
3: Connections Radio Show is all about tapping into our hardwired hunger to connect.
2: This is Bill McClesley, owner of IP House in Minneapolis. Many businesses don't know their cloud server is unsupported until they actually need support. It takes only one bad experience in dealing with the big-name providers to see why I started IP House. We provide support no matter which cloud you're on, theirs or ours. Our staff is located right here in the Twin Cities and is on call 24 hours a day. And if you don't want the cloud, we can help you there too. Call us, 612-337-6337.
3: Hello friends. I've been talking to you about Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens, Minnesota's first green cemetery dedicated to celebrating life and protecting our environment. One of the many wonderful things they have is something called the Living Urn.
0: Ashes are buried in an urn with seedlings, ultimately coming back to life as a glorious tree. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Why don't you log on to the website, mngreengraves.com. Learn more about Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. See if it might be something
2: that's meaningful for you.
3: For years, my father sexually abused me. For years, I abused alcohol and drugs to stop the hurt and rage. For years, I was afraid I would become a perpetrator just like him. I'm sober now. I've received help to recover from sexual abuse. I rely on our pipe, our ceremonies, and our culture. For the rest of my life, I'll be learning how to live with my past because overcoming the abuse of my childhood has made me the strong man that I am today. As men in our Indian communities, we must hold each other accountable and overcome our own past of sexual abuse so that we can break this cycle. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition.
0: Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metz, and my guest in the studio for the whole show tonight, Mr. Barry Zavan. We're talking about his life, which he has chronicled in this great autobiography, My Life Among the Giants. Barry, so at the end of the last segment, you were telling us about Mr. Fife from L.A., and you were... Hacked on your way to the Twin Cities to work at KSTP. So how did that all work out with Mr. Fife? Did that resolve itself?
1: Well, no. uh, Mr. Fife. uh, when we left off, uh, I had decided to call him and see if I could get the L.A. job still. And he he said, well, Barry, he said, it's interesting you could call. He said, because today is my last day at KTLA because I've been hired to be news director at WAB, or KABC Channel 7 in Los Angeles, the ABC flagship station, and we're already set with a weather guy, but keep in touch with me throughout the next couple of years or whatever. Well, my heart sank, except I was happy eventually, of course, that I finally got on the air in July, July 19th, 1971. On, okay. what's the debut of our newscasts with, with me doing the weather. And so, anyway, then Mr. Hubbard, uh, as I say, offered me a lifetime job uh, five years later or four years later, and uh, I didn't take it. I took, I bit for the money in Washington, D.C., but uh, they didn't want me to do what I did in the Twin Cities. And I said, why not? And they said, well, This is six days after I got there. They said, we're consulted by the same consultants who consult WCCO TV. They just wanted you out of town Hmm. because you were killing us in the ratings.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, it was like a knife in my heart. Willard Scott and I became really close friends. We still exchange Christmas cards. Well, there's a
0: great picture in your book, which is full of great pictures. Barry Zavan, My Life Among the Giants of you and Willard in it, a swimming pool. It looks like Willard's pulling on a butt can of Budweiser.
1: Right? Yeah, it was in his swimming pool at his farm in Upperville, Virginia. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it it actually is labeled, here's to good weather, you know. <laughs> and our two bald heads together uh, would make a great nightlight, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, so I'll finish the Fife story. Yeah. Um. When I was on, on the air in D.C., I used to go up to New York frequently, and so Bill said, come on and see me at ABC. He became vice president of news for <laughs> ABC, and he told me, he said, if you had gone with me at KTLA, you would have been Good Morning America's first weatherman. Wow. So, there you go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about that, Barry, because how many cities have you worked in?
1: Fourteen.
3: Fourteen.
1: <laughs> well, let's see. I'm not sure if it's 14 cities or 14 stations. Let, well, I'll, I'll do it chronologically. Yep. I've never done this uh, on the air. Let's see. Okay, Helena. Um, oh, Missoula. Then, let me think. Oh, my gosh. I'm starting to lose it. Then Kalispell. Then Lethbridge, Alberta. Then back to Missoula, then Idaho Falls, Idaho, Honolulu, Um, come on, oh yeah, Seattle, Tacoma. Um, But wait a minute.
0: You know what, Barry? You're only halfway there. Let people get the book and find out where else you've been. Okay. You sound like a, a Hank Snow song. I've been everywhere, man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but tell the people, Sorry. you know, traveling, um, you've had, uh, it's not an easy life.
1: No. Uh, and it's and part of it's of my own choosing, uh, you know, wanting to see what's, what was next, except for the Hubbard situation where they offered me lifetime job and when you're in your thirties you don't realize the security factor for that right to know that there's going to be a paycheck forever right and uh and so forth my god how stupid and you kick yourself forever and everybody said well you know you've got to go on and there are there are times i mean the move to washington dc was in many ways a really great one it it enabled me to uh, develop friendships with some of the rest of the giants in this world, a lot of them in the political arena. Uh, I worked for the Shah of Iran twice (laughs) for two years, uh, producing uh, films uh, for them to get tourists over there to Iran (laughs) and skiing. Um, I, you know, and I still have a friendship with the Shah's son-in-law in in Montreux, Switzerland, Um, and uh, he's 89 now. God bless him, Artish Zahedi. the Haiti. Uh, There were the, to know that all these world leaders were your fans. I was walking down the halls of the Senate office building one day, and I had to, I had to go to the bathroom, and I, the nearest office there was Senator Edmund Muskie. Mm-hmm. And so I go in, and I, and I come back out, and Senator Muskie came out the door, and he just nodded, but then he yelled at me down the hall, I enjoy you, you know. (laughs) And I said, oh, well, thank you, sir. I enjoy you, too. I didn't know what to say. Um, And, I mean, I've gotten books uh, written by people who were famous at that time. Fishbait Miller, who was the uh, Speaker of the Houses. uh, You know, he used to uh, introduce the President and stuff like that. Well,
0: there's a great story in the book. We've got about a minute and a half left. You had a Relationship with John Ehrlichman, one of the Nixon's oh, yes. White House plumbers. Tell yes. us real quickly.
1: Well, I'll try to make it quick. Uh, John, uh, before he went to prison, uh, he was in our studio, and he said, uh, "Barry," he said, "I'd like to keep in touch with you uh, while I'm in prison, and then afterward, let's." He said, "I really like you. He said, I enjoy you, and uh, he had known about my contract and so forth. So anyway, sh- long story very short." Uh, I wrote to him three times and he responded three times. He was only in for 18 months. And so he moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, then (laughs) he said, if you're ever out here, why, whatever, we'll get together. Well, I happened to need to be in Albuquerque for something uh, about a month later. I said, John, I'm gonna be in, you know, Albuquerque. He said, well, I'll drive on to Santa Fe and we'll have breakfast. So he took me to a restaurant called The Pink Adobe, and he had a book with him, which he didn't show me. He showed me the back of the book, but not the front. And then after breakfast, he said, I said, what's that book? He flipped it over. It was Richard Nixon's memoirs. <laughs> and he said, Nixon sent this to me while I was in prison, but I want you to see how he signed it. He opens the frontispiece, and it's stamped Richard M. Nixon. <clears throat> yeah. No, thank you, John. Thanks for the help. John? Yeah. He said, that's what I went to prison for. He said, nobody should ever get
0: Potomac fever.
1: Wow. Stamped, Richard M. Nixon.
0: That is an incredible story. Barry Zavan, we could do uh, several part miniseries on your life. I so appreciate you sharing these stories Thank you. Uh, uh, with me. I want to encourage Anybody out there to get Barry Zavan, My Life Among the Giants, can they order do you have a website we can order from? Website
1: or or Amazon, just Amazon.com. Okay. Yeah, type in my name. Barry Zavan, Z-E-V-A-N. Capital V-A-N.
0: Capital V-A-N. Barry, it's really been a pleasure. It's nice to meet you. I look forward to getting to know you more as the days come.
1: Same to you. Thanks a million, sir.
0: Thanks for listening and watching in the Wall of Power, Radio Hour. Thanks for listening to the and Power Radio Hour. This show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Paul Sowie. We'd like to thank our guest, the peekaboo weatherman, Barry Zavan. Follow him at BarryZavan.com. Buy his book, My Life Among the Giants. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.